Welcome to the AWP podcast series. This event was recorded at the 2015 AWP conference in Minneapolis. The recording features Jessica Anya Blau, Amber Tamblin, Justin Taylor, and Adam Wilson. You will now hear Stacy Williams provide introductions. So just to get started, uh, my name is Stacy Williams. I'm a former uh, bookseller, author events manager, 250 events a year at a large bookstore in the Midwest. So I'm sort of guiding their conversation to make sure they stay somewhat on track because that's what I've done for a lot of years is um, wrangle authors into This you know, is the panel on sense. Catherine Heigl films, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's great. the one. You're playing it. Catherine Heigl, I great. think. Great, good. Yeah, we determined Action. that previously. Um, we thought also about making this just a giant dance party, you know. Bring in beer and. That's what all the emails said. Yeah, we had this great email chain. We 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 have a plotted movie and everything. It's fantastic. But so you guys just get the boring version because we were out late drinking. So, so in 2011, The Onion uh, published this really great article, which made the rounds at least in the book world, with booksellers and some authors. The title being, "Author promoting book gives it her all, whether it's just three people or a crowd of nine people." And I feel like we could just read the article and it would give you everything you need to know because she talks about it's best to set your expectations lower and be pleasantly surprised when almost half a row is filled. She talks about it's nice to get up close with people and be able to look them in the eye and when it's this vast sea of faces, it doesn't feel like you're even talking to people at all. (laughs) So I think that this is a, a a good capturing of sort of what we're trying to address. So let me introduce you to our panelists really quick. Um, Collectively, their work has appeared in basically every publication that exists in terms of literary and uh, journalistic work, so I'm not even going to bother giving you that list. Um, (laughs) So over here on the far left, we have Jessica Anya Blau. She's the author of three novels, Summer of Naked Swim Parties, Drinking Closer to Home, and The Wonder Bread Summer. Uh, Being naked is a trending topic with Jessica, as you will find out a little bit later. Next to her is Amber Tamblin. Amber has been a contributing writer for the Poetry Foundation. She's author of three collections of poetry, Free Stallion, Bang Ditto, and most recently, Dark Sparkler, which is, oh my goodness. Like, it will just kind of dig itself into your heart. It's great. She claims she used to be an actress, but we're not sure. She may also have seen Ashton Kutcher's nipples. We're not sure about that either. We kind of doubt everything that comes out of her mouth. Next to her, we have Justin Taylor. He's the author of a novel, The Gospel of Anarchy, two story collections, Everything Here is the Best Thing Ever, and Flings. He once almost got arrested for contributing to the delinquency of a minor because he was using his friend's older brother's ID to go out drinking. That's true. It's a great story. You can read about it in details. (laughs) Adam Wilson is... (laughs) author of Flat Screen and What's Important Here is Feeling. He teaches creative writing at NYU, Columbia, the Sackett Street Writers Workshop, and occasionally on the subway. He was a bookseller in a former life. His website claims Brooklyn Magazine named him as one of the 50 funniest people in Brooklyn, and he just got engaged about a week or two ago. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm not funny anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget to speak on the microphone. Oh, yeah. I'm not funny anymore. So in writing programs, professors tell you over and over that to be a good writer, you need to read a lot of books. I'd argue that in order to know how to have a good author appearance, you need to attend a lot of author events. So why don't you guys first give us your first author event experience as an attendee as opposed to as an author? Oh boy. I, I actually have a good story about this one. When I was about, I'd say, nine years old, my, um, my dad took me to a John Updike reading, and... 
I think because he was reading something about baseball and I like baseball. And my dad was a writer and he had just started publishing his own first stories and he was working on his first novel and he was very excited to introduce nine-year-old me to John Updike. And um, we went up to him after and got the book signed and my dad said, you know, we both, I'm a writer as well, we, I, I just had a story in The New Yorker and you, know, you have stories in The New Yorker and he's like, and what are you doing now? My dad's like, well, I'm working on my first novel. And John Updike turns to nine-year-old me and he goes, are you working on a novel also? <laughs> and it was a really, like, dick move. And what an made asshole. Me, yeah, he was a prick. And that's my story of the first reading I went to. I mean, I, I used to take my kids to readings. And, oh, I'll tell you the best one I went to is I went to a Tobias Wolf reading and I had my baby and she was, she was like this manic baby. My first one was easy and the second one was manic. And she nursed constantly. And whenever people were around, that's when she'd want to nurse. And she was just like, it's like audibly sucking the entire time he read. And so my breast was out and it was just the whole time that he read. And afterwards he, you know, it was big. He left where he read and he walked straight back to me in the back row. And he said, how old's your baby? And he talked to me and then he walked me to my car. He was such a nice guy. So that's, yeah, it was sweet. Um, my, my parents also had no sense of what was appropriate for a child. And so when I was about 10 years old, uh, I got really into Stephen King. And between 10 and 12, read all of the extant Stephen King, what was extant at that time. Uh, and so I think I would say the first memory I have is I grew up in, in South Florida, and, and we went to the Miami International Book Fair because he was going to be signing books there. And uh, we waited in a line for a very long time, and, and he signed. I had a book, and my grandma had a book that, that we both got our book signed. And that was um, when he was playing with the Rock Bottom Remainders, if you guys remember them, the all-writer rock band. Amy Tan was in it, and they, and they played at the book fair that year. Um, and so the fun part of that story is Warren Zevon was still alive, and he sat in with them. So uh, it meant nothing to me then, less than nothing. But I did get to see Zevon and these writers do Werewolves of London about three in the afternoon at Miami International Book Fair, and I guess that was something to have seen. I, I also grew up with adults... Um, who set inappropriate boundaries as far as who they brought around, which was, uh, I, can, I cannot for the life of me remember my first like reading experience seeing somebody. Is I, I was raised around a lot of poets, mostly the beat poets from San Francisco, Jack Hirschman, Michael McClure, Lawrence Fertlinghetti, Diane De Prima, and I can only remember as a child hearing a lot of poem, like communist poems and smelling a lot of pot. And that was my childhood. <laughs> it's Explain interesting so we all grew up in childhoods that were uh, not monitored <laughs> you know we all grew up with the smell of pot and we ended up being writers yeah. no regrets <laughs> <laughs> so where did you first learn how to have an appearance like before really getting into your, your specific experiences like what was sort of the first moment where you started to think okay how do I do this how do I learn how to do this? My first book, my first reading, no one showed up. And uh, the Barnes & Noble lady was nice enough to take off her badge and sit there. And then somebody who blurred me, who I didn't know when he blurred me, but then I met him afterwards and he became my friend, Larry Doyle showed up. 
And I did my reading for the Barnes & Noble lady and Larry Doyle, my new friend, who had just blurbed me. And after the reading, Larry said, oh, that, was, that was really terrible. And I said, it was? And he said, yeah, you just, you got to figure out what to read and you should just read the sex parts. I'll help you figure it out. <laughs> and so, so then I figured it out. Or he helped me figure it out. What a great and, mentor. Yeah, he yeah. was great. Because I, I've been acting since I was 11, uh, performance was always a different thing for me, especially when reading poetry. But, you know, as far as poetry is concerned, um, that can be a really sleepy medium, um, especially because you're usually reading in rooms like this where there's no, you know, it's just fluorescent lights and um, it's, it doesn't feel particularly engaging. So oftentimes I try to find, you know, and learned this along the way as a teenager and then in my 20s too, just trying to find reading experiences that would, um, that there was sort of more about what I was writing about and, and felt, felt more like it was an experience than just like a lecture hall or something. So I really, I feel, I feel like where you read also informs how you read. And that's really, really important. I think that's true. <laughs> what was the question again? What am, what am I talking about? Where did you start to learn oh, how to give a uh, talk to your parents? Well, um, you know, in, in the first of what I'm sure will be many twists and, and big reveals over the course of this panel, uh, I was also a child actor. And I appeared in a lot of number of commercials and, and movies nobody's seen. Between he was, he yeah, was almost in the sandlot. That's true. <laughs> I had two callbacks on the sandlot. I was going to be yeah, yeah, then I wasn't. That's awesome. But so, <laughs> it's going to be. That'll be. When they make the sequel, that'll be. Yeah. They'll cast me as going to be. So, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a very different kind of performance, but I think the first thing for an author to get used to is just the idea of being at a front of a room and talking for as long as I'm talking right now and you people are all listening to me, and, and we're not listening to me, but you're all looking at me, and, you know, I have to, you, you have to be comfortable with that, um, and it can be a profoundly uncomfortable thing. I'm pretty comfortable with it. I could happily keep talking. I won't. But I think that's sort of the, was there an answer there? Yes. Okay. That's good enough. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting that both Amber and Justin bring up, you know, sort of other, other performative mediums, because I feel like often one of the big problems with readings that I attend is that, like, no one... Reali- like, people write a book and then they don't realize that performing it is a totally different thing and that mm-hmm. that you can't just, like, stand there and read the words and have anyone want to listen. Even if you're a really good writer, which I've seen many really good writers give really terrible readings. And I think, you know, for me, um, a part of it was... So when I, my dad's a writer, and I went, as a kid, when I was like 12, I went on a book tour with him um, in England, and he's British, so that's also sort of like, they're just performy type people, and we're Jews, so like the British and the Jews, it's like a lot of performance anyway. Yeah, and I went on a book tour with him, and um, the, no one came to any of the readings, and it was really depressing, but he still like got up there and did his little song and dance, and I found that sort of depressing, but also kind of... It's like, this is what you do. And, you know, so I I had my dad who gave readings, and I had an uncle who was a stand-up comedian, so I I sort of just, like, saw a lot of people doing these things and I think just imitated them, basically, when I I started doing it myself. And and I think also just going to a lot of readings and seeing what I didn't want to do. Yeah, um, Yeah, I agree with that. Is the main 
is the main thing. Like, like especially, I'm sure all, you know, many of you guys are MFA students, you probably have to go to tons of readings, and you probably, like, just sit there waiting for the wine to get brought out. In my MFA program, they wouldn't bring out the wine until everyone had read, so that everyone would stay. And, like, it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be so boring. And, you know, I've, maybe we're not up to that point, but I think we all have some ideas of how to make things less shitty. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because at the bookstore level, too, where we, when we are close to a university um, and there's a master's program and there's a PhD program in creative writing, the sheer number of people who are in that program who are not coming to any one of 250 author events a year, when we have Pulitzer Prize winners and Booker Award winners and you can find yourself going out to drinks with an author afterwards and the students don't show up. They don't show up. They don't come to the events and the very few who do... It's because you don't have enough free booze. There you that's, go. It's the free booze. <laughs> that's the problem with the undergrad. That's why no one comes to the undergrad events. Yeah. But the- I think, too, like, and that doesn't mean that you have to be, have a, have a performance aspect that you don't, that's not true to who you are. But I think mm-hmm. even sometimes the way in which you order what you're going to read and how you read it, um, like, so many times, often, I'll go to a poetry reading where um, somebody, the first poet that reads, is going to read the darkest shit they have. And that is a very bad idea. Uh, I think you want to always disarm an audience, and if you have anything that's lighter or funnier, I always... We, we have a motto in the poetry community where we say, funny poem, funny poem, hard poem, hard poem, hard poem, book sales. That's like a known <laughs> motto, and if you do it in that order, you know, you're know you easing people into the language, and again, I, I'm only speaking for poetry, um, which is can be sort of a harder thing to absorb. But then also that motto sometimes doesn't work because if you are going on after somebody who just read the most beautiful work about the death of someone they loved, you know, coming out with a poem about masturbation may not be correct. I've done that. Something, I, I totally believe you have. Did I? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, but, but, So order, I think, is also just really important. Like, who Sometimes you're... people need a break after a lot of death. Though. Yeah. You want some masturbation. But reading a crowd in that way is... Yeah, yeah, I think... You disgust me. (laughs) I think there are some universal... Like, it's true, it's like everyone's a different writer and you write different things and you have to sort of know your own work and know what what this particular audience is going to be good for or or is going to enjoy or is going to be engaged by. And, and, you know, you can kind of... Sometimes you can kind of figure that out when you get there and sometimes you can figure that out by seeing if they're, like, rowdy and drunk or if they're, like, a quiet bookstore crowd who just want to, like be told a nice pleasant story to or something but I think there are some universal things like like one nobody wants to listen to you read for 45 minutes yes. I think that's like Very number true. like the shorter reader is always the best remembered and again sell more books yeah absolutely like you can give a five minute reading and you think you can't and that you can't like cut the thing that you want to read down to that length, but you can, and it'll be better. And probably it'll end up being better anyway. And, like, it'll be a good exercise in, in economy of language. I was going to say, just going back to the kind of the beginning of planning then. So, yeah. you know, before you even know whether or not you're going to read or talk or it's, it's going to be you or three people, going closer to the beginning, it starts with the who, what, where, why. Like, who, who is it? Is it you? Is it you and a friend? Is it you and your you know, your colleagues, is it, um, you know, did it set up on a book tour, are you doing it yourself, what are you going to do, where is it going to be, why are you even doing it? So how, like, where does that start for each of you, like, at that stage? Well, I mean, like, my last book, The Wonder Bread Summer, I mean, it opens, 
it's based on a true story. When I worked for a cocaine dealer in Oakland, and he kept pulling his dick out at work. And so the story opens with the girl at work, and the guy pulls out his enormous dick. Like, and could, you, could you, like, show us how big, like, if you just wanted to do, like, a... <laughs> it was, like, that. For yeah. the record of the podcast, it was it's the length of a salmon. It was, like, do that again? It was, like, that. Okay, now, are we... <laughs> <laughs> now they're making a bread box. No, but it was, like, how heavy. Long, it was, how, what was the girth? On it was the, like, heavy centimeter? looking. Like, he held it in his hand, and it looked like his hand would go down with it. Like, it was heavy looking. So he kept pulling his dick out at I work. I just saw that guy at the urinal. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually here. He's looking for you. He, knew, he knows you wrote the book. <laughs> so this happened in real life, and I opened my book with this, not because I thought, I want to open with a dick, but because I thought I wanted to write about this girl, and I thought this was a moment of crisis when the guy at work is pulling his dick out. And so the book opened with this, and so then I go on book tour, and it's really, reading that passage was either, like I had to look at the audience and think, just sort of look at their faces and think, can I read this or can I not read this? And sometimes I would say, ah, you know, there's like a dick in the beginning. Are you guys cool with that? You know, and, the, you know, in like L.A., I could read it. And wherever I was in New York, my editor, Kate, was there, and she said, don't read it, don't read it. You know, so, I mean, I can't remember who was in the audience, but sometimes it's just looking at that moment. Yeah, sometimes you have to be willing to go, are you guys cool? It's going to be cool. Um, yeah. But it's also funny that, like, things... Uh, yeah, you guys, I'm not sure if you guys are cool. <laughs> you, didn't really, you didn't really give me that back. But that's why you ask, you know. But also, it, it's one thing that I think it can be surprising at readings is things that read differently out loud than on the page. Um, and a lot of what registers, like what Jessica called like a moment of crisis, presented to an audience, it, it often registers as comedy. I learned this mm -hmm. when I was doing readings for my first book. A lot of stories that I thought were very sad and tragic that I suppose are in their way, when read out loud they read like kind of emotional slapstick because they're just, you know, these terrible things befalling people in, in rapid succession and, and sexual misconduct and all the, you know, and, and all these, these things that, um, that out loud in a room full of people, like the audience doesn't really have a way to interact with you other than basically by laughing. I mean, you're, you know, you're not going to collectively gasp at an emotional moment. You're probably not going to stop and break into applause you know, and, and so, like, the laughter is kind of it, in particular if you're reading sex scenes. Even if they are intrinsically sad, I'm still up here, like, saying dirty words, and you're hearing them, and you're all sitting with each other, hearing each other, you know, watching each other hear them. And, and so it, it becomes much funnier uh, than it is, and you, or, you know, than it otherwise would be. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's just something to know, because otherwise you might find yourself quite shocked and, and even hurt, you know, that you thought you were pouring your heart out here and people were just, people were just laughing at you. Well, you did, and they are, you know? So where? Where, where have been the, the best and worst places that you have had a reading experience? One was, of each. I was just thinking about going back to that first question, and I did a reading at, the, at uh, Fun 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 Festival, which is a comedy festival, but I did it in, as part of their... Um, uh, like a literary thing, and I remember doing a reading with a queer author who had written about, um, uh, she had one of those pee cups for women uh, where you can like put it in your pants and you can, you can, the funnel. And um, so she read this story and then while she was reading it, she took a piss on stage in a, I was like, this is a comedy festival, uh, that kind of works. 
So <laughs> it's like now I'm going to read the saddest poems I have about being a child star. That didn't. That went back to the first question entirely. But you were talking about where, like, where are places you should that you enjoy reading? You mean like a, a good experience or a bad experience you've I had? Mean, I think for the out. most part, like. It sort of depends. Like, and it depends where you are in your career and what you're trying to do. Like, like bookstore readings are good if you have a book that you've written and they can sell it there. But they're also bad because they're they're like stuffier and less fun. Yeah. And like reading series, that you know, there are all, all these reading series where there's like five, six writers or whatever can be really good, especially at the beginning of your career because. It's like everyone brings three friends and then there's 30 people there instead of the two who are going to come see you. And it's like at a bar and everyone's drinking and it's fun and, and they like you and then you hang out with them after. So, th so I think, you know, it, it, depends, it depends what you're trying to get out of the reading. If you want to sort of like meet people and get exposure for your work and, and all that stuff, you know, you probably don't need to be like booking a bookstore tour in cities where you only know one person or something. You probably just want to sort of get into your local little scene and and you know get involved in local reading series or whatever and get on a bill with like 10 people and read a very short thing and get people to like you but you know then when you have a book and stuff you also you sometimes want to read in bookstores you sometimes don't i mean i think like when i first had my first book come out i thought it would be really awesome to go on a book tour and then i went on one and like it like it kind of sucks like it's great in a few cities and then the rest of the places where you don't know anyone and people don't actually read. It's like you go to some depressing city and stay in a depressing hotel and, and like two old people come to your reading. So you don't, you don't, it seems more glamorous than it is, I think, with, with, with exceptions. But like, I think especially like if you're, you know, if you're doing a small press book, say, or something like, like I think you should really try to only book events that you think you can get people to come to. And and maybe that have other other Super people bad. reading at who might yeah. you know bring more people. I mean, I think if somebody invites you, you know, like the Catholic Women's Book Club actually read that book with the penis and cocaine, and they loved it. Like, I think you should never assume who's going to love or hate your book, and they were great. Um, the Naked Book Club that I went to was probably the most interesting reading I went to, and it was. Um, you know, I w it was held in like a gym, and when I got there, there was naked yoga going on in one room and naked men working out, and there was only one woman there. And the entire place kind of smelled like testicles, and it was all naked guys. And, and I brought a friend with me, and she said, well, at least nobody's carrying a cell phone that will go off. But then <laughs> in the middle of it, the guy she was sitting behind, his cell phone went off, and he like stood up and bent over to pick it up off the floor so his... Everything was right in her face. So, you know, but they were an interested group. I mean, I feel like if somebody asks you and they're Seeing interested... like so many penises. Can I just... <laughs> I feel like everything... I didn't look that time. I just get made eye contact. I didn't look at any penises. That, yeah. that naked... I mean, it's like it's all the naked... Like, book don't you feel like after that guy with the huge one took it out, like you're always looking for that one? <laughs> like... It's like the glass slipper. No, you know? I didn't want that one. Listen, yeah. there are however many women there are in this audience, every single one of them has had a guy show them their penis because that's what happens when you have a vagina. People show you their penis. <laughs> so it's not like it just happens to just me. Not I'm just normally at author events. <laughs> Raise your hand if you are a lady and you have not had a guy show you his penis. Not. Not. There you go. Has anyone ever seen one at an author case. event? <laughs> yeah, it's oh. just a normal. I'm going to try a little redirect here. 
Stacey's giving me the eye. This better um, be about dicks. No, no, it, it, it won't be. Um, what I was, what I was going to say is, I, I think I want to second everything Adam said. If you're talking about reading kind of as a function of promotion and a part of the author tour and the kind of apparatus that goes along with, with pushing a book, um, but I think there's a good argument to be made for you know, readings for their own sake. And like for me, I like to try out new material, particularly short stories at readings. I like to see how it plays to an audience. I like to see if the, you know, the, not the punchlines, but the lines that I want to land that I think should hit are actually hitting where they're supposed to. And so it's, there's a way that it's actually, I think, part of the writing process. And, that, and it can be really nice. And in a context like that, uh, there's a real value in intimacy. And, you know, if you have three people come to your bookstore and you flew across the country and everyone's out a bunch of money, I can understand why that's frustrating. But in a slightly different context, you know, if you're reading at a book group or to some friends in a bar or, you know, or, or in a kind of purposefully private or, or, you know, or intimate space... It can be really nice. I met a woman earlier today who I, well, I, I was reintroduced to her. I read at this weird private poetry workshop that my friend Ariana runs, and she'd asked me to come and read to her class, and she said, do whatever you want. And I said, well, there's one story in my book I never get to read all the way through because it, it's really too long to do a reading. And she said, well, the other day we read Kafka's letters, letter to his father out loud to each other. It took four hours. You're not going to scare us off. Do what you want. And so I came and I sat in this, in this woman's apartment. And, um, you know, this was an audience who was going in, had committed to just doing whatever I wanted to do. And I read this story. It took about 35, maybe 40 minutes. Uh, and then I talked to them about it for a couple hours after. And um, it was a really special thing for me. You know, there's, count on one hand, the number of times I've ever been asked to do that or had my work treated that way. And that, that you way. don't feel like when you're doing it that you're burdening everybody, too. Right. You know, where it, like, actually feels good. Yes, you asked for it, you got it. Shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, did, I just did a book release party for my book in New York, and one of the things I find is having musicians, especially as a, as a poet, to sort of score your work can be a very powerful, magical thing. Again, specific to poetry, I think. And that show that we did in New York was like one long song that never stopped for 45 minutes. And that might sound like a long poetry show to you, but if you have, I think, if you treat it almost like you're in a band and you've created a story uh, around the set that you've put together, and I was fortunate to have Yola Tango, who are incredible, and we created like, a, um, like an actual scored reading that felt more like an experience with stories a little bit in between, but I think that that, even a 45-minute set for poetry is incredibly long, and you're asking for a lot of attention span. And again, I go back to what you said about shorter is better. But I know? think it also, it, it like depends on the event. It depends. Yeah. If people are coming, if it's like your book, and everyone's coming to see you, you can, you know, Sometimes not, though. Sometimes I mean, I've, not. I've been to, I have been to book release parties where someone reads for an hour, and it's like, you want to do the best pieces that you have, and then you want people to go buy it over yeah. at that booth. Yeah. Bookstores like, you will wanna, tell you. You want them to say, oh, no, read more. Yeah, That's but, what you want them to feel. We tell also... books, our authors at bookstores now, we say, don't read. Don't read. Unless you're Sebastian Barry and you're, like, dramatically intoning really everything. Good. and There are readers who are very funny. But Your honestly, don't read. If you do read, you read for five to ten minutes. You're giving them a sample. You're teasing your audience because of that exact reason. If you read too much, you're giving it all away. They're not going to read the book. 
Like you want them to buy the book, they want them to buy your work, or you want them to remember you so when you do have a book, they will come by your book. Except for experiences like that, where someone actually says, like, no, we're an audience, like you've been told yeah. up front, we're an audience that wants this. Yeah. Well, no, so I think assume the, that they want it. The more engaging you are, the more you can get away with. It's like, <laughs> and you know, you can tell when an audience is, is interested in you and when they're not, and when you've lost them. Like I'll often, you know, if, if I feel like the audience has lost interest, I'll just like stop i always bring um well now i use it used to be an ipod back in the 1920s um but i always uh, if i feel a, a crowd is if i'm like losing them i'll just put on like you know what let's fuck this poem let's uh she's got a cable let me put on some r kelly any men want to come up i'll shave your chest we'll take five minutes and then we'll go back into poetry what do you think um, i'm a big proponent of shit chest like that. just save, shaving Dicks, chests, all of it. Well, no, but I think, I mean, all of it, you know, brings up this point, which is, it's like, I think the problem is when we take ourselves so seriously that we can't, like, have fun. And, you know, I think even if you write a serious book, like, you still need to be an engaging persona, however you're going to do that. And I think part of that is, is, like, people come to readings to enjoy themselves. They don't come to, like, think about suicide while you read something really depressing. Or, or maybe, like, a, a few writers, who people come to do that. But, um, you know, it's like, it's like even if you're going to read something intense and depressing, you might make a couple jokes or, or tell a funny little anecdote before you get on stage just to, like, you know, you want them to be your friend. You want them, you want them to be interested and engaged. And, like, sometimes that means shaving someone's chest. Sometimes it just means, like not reading in a monotone voice. You know what I mean? It could, it, it could be either of those things. You know, and I think that's for you to decide. But, um, you know, you, you, you just want people, like, like, you just don't want people to be bored, whatever, whatever you do. And, like, and I think you have to accept that, like, your writing alone, even if it's the most amazing piece of writing, it still might be boring to listen to for especially for a long period of time. And, and I always, no matter what city I'm reading in, I try and find someone I know in that city to come read with me because I hate reading alone. It's way more fun to do it with more people. That's actually true at the bookstore level. We had a program where we would pair opening readers with published authors. So we'd have Andre Debuse come and a local author who's been, you know, we read their work, we went to them and invited them. So it's not just, you know, people coming in and saying, hey, can I do this? And we did this for about a year and a half or two years for a lot of different authors, and it worked wonderfully because your opening reader isn't competing with sales, but they're getting exposure, they're getting experience, they're getting practice. So if you can ever be an opening reader for someone in that kind of context, it gives you that chance to have that interaction. And you're bringing more people to the event. We found poetry events, three people is often ideal because each person brings an average of 10 to 15 people, and now you have a nice big full house, and everyone's happy. Well, you don't want too many because then that gets really long. Anything more than three is It's like a nice, there's a nice balance of like enough people to bring people, but not enough people that it's going to be really long. It's sort of the 45-minute rule. Like, yeah. You're, yeah. Whether, if you're alone, then you parse out your, um, your reading, your talking, and your Q&A portion so it doesn't go over 40, 45 minutes. If you're with others, also portion it out so you don't go over 45 minutes. It's, anything over that, and anything over an hour, you're losing people. They're, they're done, yeah. no matter how interesting you are. <laughs> I started a nonprofit with a poet named Mindy Medifee uh, called Right Now Poetry Society that was specifically designed to create unique uh, poetry programming in this exact context. And we did for six years a sh- an annual show in Los Angeles called The Drums Inside Your Chest where we had five poets of varying degrees, whether it was academic or performance or 
slam or anything in between. And each person read for 10 minutes. And in between that, we would do palate cleansers. So we would have either musicians or this guy, Rob Zabrecki, who's a magician from the Magic Castle, or just little sort of vignettes in between the readings as a way to sort of let people clear their minds. And those shows would, each author that did them would sell, and I'm not exaggerating, 100 books. It was like a crazy, for poetry, that's a lot of books for one night. Um, yeah. but it was two books is a lot of books. Well, but I mean, they were. It was a big showcase too. You know, we get like you know five hundred people there or something. So, but but that was an an attitude or an idea. And I think if you do go to if you are reading, it might be interesting, or if you're ever curating your own show or putting your own show together, to think a little bit outside of the box of whatever it is. Uh, that you are that you are reading. So if you want to bring a mu- ma- magician or a musician or you know someone to talk about how they're in school to be a veterinarian, I don't know. So bring, just bring something to sort of make it feel like um, it's larger than itself. That's that's a, a thought, an idea. Um, so speaking of kind of the audience size, we're you know talking about going places where you know people, where you know how nice it is to be in intimate readings. You also will find your play, yourself in places where you don't know anyone. Um, there's kind of a nice audience ratio uh, rule to keep in mind too. That you know when you do a launch in a hometown, or you know if you are going to a friend's place and you know a bunch of people, and you have 90 people show up and you're really excited, and then you go to that next town and you have three people show up. 100% of that audience you don't know. You just introduce yourself to a three people who never knew you before, whereas your hometown audience, they all know you. Like, that's your support. So how do you kind of reconcile that, like, you need that, that emotional push well, I and think then part also that of it, exposure? It's, it's really nice because as writers, like, we, we're home almost all the time writing. Like, some of us don't leave our houses ever. And you write a book, and you think that the world is going to respond to it, and it, it doesn't in nearly the same way that you imagine, like... You know, maybe people will like your Facebook post that says that your book came out, and maybe you'll get a couple of reviews. But for the most part, it sort of is this thing that just appears in the world, and it, and it, its whereabouts become unknown to you. Like people might read it and might have it and might take that experience and have private thoughts about it, and, and you have no idea. And, and so I think the nicest thing about doing readings and going to these, you know, going to places, even if there's two people there, it's like it's just like a way of engaging with someone who actually. You know, it's, it's, it's a way of sharing your work in a way that you can see someone responding to and, you know, talk to people who have read things you've written. Like, that happens, you know, a lot less often than I think one would think. You talk to a lot of people who, who like, know the name of your book and what its cover looks like, but, but you know, when you go to these events, even if there's, just like, one person who's like, I read this book and really liked it. Like, that's really nice and encouraging. And you're like, oh, it was worth spending seven years writing it because <laughs> you liked it <laughs> and uh, yeah <laughs> no but but seriously I mean it sounds depressing um but I think it can also be really uh, uplifting yeah no I, I think so too I gave I gave one of those readings um when I was on tour for for flings I went to this great independent bookstore in in Newton in Newton Massachusetts um Newtonville books and uh I basically got rained out it was it was a rainy night and and uh, four or five, maybe six people came. It was it was a small thing, but um, and and it could have had very much the kind of cast that Adam was describing, you know, going on tour with his dad. But it but it happened uh, that Adam's dad was one of those five or six people, and and he and I and the and the bookstore owner spent a very lovely evening together, and and you know, 
the audience was great, and we got to like basically sit in a circle and talk, and and then uh, and then went and got dinner after, and it was it was it was, a, it was a really nice thing. I mean, and now I feel like I have a relationship with that bookstore um, and with Adam's dad, which was nice. Um, he's a good he's a good guy. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think that. I'm a middle child. I don't know about you guys, but some of you are probably middle. But I mean, from a life of invisibility and writing and feeling invisible and really almost literally being invisible, like being in your head and being trapped in your head and being invisible, to actually go out in the world and come out of your head and to have something that was in your head connect to a human outside of your head mm -hmm. and then connect to that human is a great thing. So if it's one person, it's totally great. And it doesn't matter that it's not more. Just one person is a great moment. Ann Patchett has a great story about her first tour and having this just awful time changing in her car, going in, nobody knowing she was even supposed to be there. But now, I mean, she ended up sitting with the bookseller and having this wonderful conversation, and that woman then went on to just sell a ton of her books. And, and with that happening in every little place she went, now everybody knows who she is. So those, those tiny moments, those relationships can really, really propel you into that next stage of your career down the line. And you don't even know that that's happening when it's happening. Booksellers have to be some of the nicest people on earth, booksellers and librarians. And so if you have time to hang out in a bookstore with the booksellers who are selling your book, I mean, it's a great thing. And it's nice to talk to them and, you know, be yeah. grateful. And I promise if no one shows up at your event, they are mortified because they have actually tried to make this work for you and yeah, they feel very true. really, really bad. <laughs> Um, so what constitutes a successful event? How do you know is it successful? Is it the sales numbers? Is it the reaction of the audience? Is it how you feel when you're done? It's that I didn't throw up from fear. <laughs> <laughs> I would want to say book sales, but, but honestly, some of the best shows I've ever had, I didn't sell a single book. So it also, I think, just depends on the, you know, socioeconomic group that you're reading in front of and, you know, who's there, who's not there. Also, how good the entire evening is, is sometimes, often I've been to readings where there's been like 10 people on a bill of something, and two of them are good, and everybody else is like, you know, snoozy. And uh, so I think that that can also, um, I think it's the experience. I think it's exactly what we're talking about. It's a sense that the audience is with you, and when you're reading things that are heartbreaking or, you know, they, they make you want to laugh and people are laughing with you and you're like, okay, this is okay. It's really funny that this awful thing happened to me, right? Or if you're sharing things that are um, extremely painful and hard to speak on and you can hear a pin drop in the room. Oftentimes when I can hear a pin drop and also I don't see people texting, you know, especially in like a dark room if I'm in a bar or something like that and you can see like lights flashing up. I think that always feels really good, just when you know you've connected with the audience. It's a really special feeling. Yeah, I think I would second what, what Amber said. Um, I mean, you just, you know, you, you know when you're having a good night. I mean, like any other night of your life, you know, you're, you're in a good mood, you were happy when it started, you're still happy when it's over. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's usually a sign of success. But um, I guess the only other thing I wanted to sort of throw out there, that's kind of about all this before it passes out of my mind, is that, you know, you have to reconcile yourself to the fact that literature is a slow, it's just slow. It is, it is a slow art form. It's written slowly, it's read slowly, and books have long and largely hidden lives um, in their composition, but also in their, in their reception. You know, the, the, the publicity life cycle of a book is, is very brief. It comes out and, and you're a hot ticket for, you know, six, eight weeks if you're lucky. And then anyone who's going to, you know, anyone who's going to review it or write something about it or give you press 
they're all chasing deadlines, you know, and, and, and your old news. And so it, you know, kind of like what Adam was saying, I mean, it's, you, yeah, it sounds depressing, but I don't mean it to sound depressing. I mean that, like, you know, my first book was five years ago now, a little, a little more than that. And some people are just getting around to it, and sometimes when they do, they write me a Facebook note, and, you know, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool feeling that that thing is still out there without me needing to be responsible for it. Because God knows if, you know, if I haven't thought about that book in four years. I've written two other books since then and done all kinds of other stuff. You know, and, and so it's nice that it's, like, out there taking care of itself. Yeah. You know, and, and for that reason also, I, I find I really get like a thrill out of the performance itself and, and think of that as a very separate thing. And it's like I'm a writer and I write books and some people read them and I don't always know about it. But I also have this other thing I do, which is like once a month or whatever, I give a reading and I'm on a stage in front of a bunch of people and I get to like engage an audience and make people laugh and, and dance or whatever. And I, and I feel like, you know, when it feels good, it's like, as, as Justin said, like when you're on, like... Like, I, I'm very harsh on my own readings. I'm like, I, I read that part too fast. Like, I didn't, I didn't hit the punchline. That, you know what I mean? But, like, like, there is this feeling you can get from giving a really great reading that's very different from the feeling you get from writing something great and from feeling good about something you've written or from feeling good about a response someone had to your work. It's, 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 a, it's a performance thing when you're like, you know, I just... I, like the timing is all perfect, like I nailed the tone of my voice, like it, it was good. And like you can feel in the room when like, you know, as, as Amber said, you can hear a pin drop or like, like I feel like when I know how the audience is going to respond to each yeah. line, when I'm like they're going to laugh here and then they're going to, then they're going to get really sad. I find too, like if my, the thing I said about like funny poem, funny poem, but if I do the funnier ones first and I can gauge how much people are laughing, it, it it's also... I'm gauging where I should go next and how interested they are. And usually when they don't, if, if I feel like they're not engaged, for me it's different because they're also looking at me as an actress first. And they're like, I heard this fucking sister to the trolley pants bitch is also a writer. What's that all about? So they're coming with a different expectation mm. than they would normally. So, so I feel like I have to gauge that first and see and kind of disarm everybody as far as like a, what my public persona is in that sense and then go from there. But oftentimes you'll find out and you'll go, oh, this crowd is going to be hard work. Like mm-hmm. this is going to be a lot harder than I thought. And then you've got to scramble and think really quick and it's not enough to just pick like whatever the next poem is in the book. Yeah. You've got to really think about where people's heads are at. Is it loud in here? Is there music? Like are you at a bar? Is, is everyone talking, that's, you know, all of those sort of things come into play. I usually bring like three or four things to read and decide when I get there based on the crowd. Then sometimes if the crowd is like, I'm just like, this isn't my audience, they're going to hate me, I'll read like the dirtiest (laughs) thing. Just to spite them? Yeah, just because like, fuck them. If you're going to lose, you might as well I would say there's one exception to that, which is, I don't know if you, Justin and I both have on this Jewish book council tour where you, where you go around reading to... Um, Why don't you guys invite me? Uncircumcised um, dicks. Because you, there's a very complicated audition process. Do you know Chris. about this? No, it's like a crazy I'm... thing. Um, but yeah, but you go and read to like geriatrics yeah, in JCCs across America. No, it's horrible. Is the... I didn't want to get into this because it's, but it's, don't ever do it. It's, it's a disaster. Oh, I think that's relevant. Tell us about how, what not to do. Well, okay, no, wait, I, I wait, shouldn't say I, don't uh, do it. It can be a really useful thing and you can sell a lot of books. But, but wait, they, I wanted to ask you, you three a question, which is, um, do you rehearse? I mean, I also take two, prepare two or three things, but do you rehearse what you're going to read? Do you read it ahead of time, time it, and listen to yourself? 
I do. And, and I've also practiced all, I've, I mean, I feel like at some point, especially living in New York and having a couple of books out, you get invited to do readings all the time. And like, I've just done my, so many of my pieces so many times and I'll like bust out a new one and, yeah. and then I'll practice that a bit. That would be another thing I would say that's really important. I definitely do that and I time them so that I know how long and if it's like, if this poem's going to be even 30 seconds over the allotted time they gave me, I'll scrap it because I'd rather do less time than go over because... I'm sure we can all speak for being on at readings where it's like you have 10 minutes to read and then someone gets up there and reads for 22 minutes and they don't realize it because you get you get involved in what you're reading but you should never do that ever 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 and because not only is it the audience senses that it's too long because how everyone else has been pacing their work but also you're going to upset the person who created the event or you know is putting the show together and then they may not bring you back to read. People start to hate you. Yeah, it's it's good it's good to read your to read the work aloud and to practice. I mean, I think especially for for a fiction you know for fiction or nonfiction anything in prose where once you get up there, I mean, the train has really left the station and you don't you don't have the flexibility that a poet might have to kind of call audibles or you know I'm going to do this I'm going to do that. Skip parts. Yeah. I'll be like, you know what? They're not going to like this part. I. I can tell from their reaction to this other part that I should just skip this part. Mm. So you'd say it's okay to edit your work when you're reading oh, it in yeah. public, even yeah, though someone's going to get the telling And yeah. saying it, and saying, like, I can sense you guys don't, you know, you guys aren't interested in 57 sonnets about my great-grandmother. That's cool. We'll move, we'll move along. Um, like, you, I think it's, I think sort of speaking of what's going on in your head out loud is sometimes really nice, as it makes people feel a little closer to you. It's what they're, that's what they're getting that they don't get in the book. Yeah. You're giving yeah. them something that they can't get on their own with your object. Well, I think, too, just, I mean, just as a matter of, like, craft, when you're practicing something to, to read it, you actually want to come in a little bit under time. I think, again, especially in prose, when you're talking about narrative, you know, you're asking people to follow along while you're speaking and, you know, and stick with this story, whatever it is, and it will be easier for them to do that if you can afford to speak a little slower and clearly... And take a breath between sentences. Make sure everyone's kind of with you. And especially if you're reading something funny, you have to give people time to actually laugh. You know, you don't want to step on your own laughter because you have to get through this thing. Yeah. So if they've given you 15 minutes and you're reading it at home and, and you really think it's, it's going to be funny and it, and it has, you know, kind of swerves in it and it's this cool thing you're doing, the test read should really be about like 13, 13 and a half minutes because there's, there's going to be like... 90 seconds or, or two minutes that, that you're not counting on at home so standing in your, you know, in your bedroom or whatever and that's, and that's where all the stuff that you're going for is actually going to be that's laughter, that's audience reaction you know, that's like that one time you actually did make someone gasp mm-hmm. which I did once, it was really fun she just went <gasps> I've done that <laughs> I bet you have <laughs> oh. I, think, I just want to say one thing which is like, you also don't have to be funny like, we're all hilarious, and everyone likes funny things humbling. better than we're non-funny things. Hilarious. But, you know, I think it's like... Great, it's like like you making can, them leave. It's like if, you, <laughs> if you're not going to be funny, you ha- then you have to ha- probably have, like, read about sex. Or, yeah, but sex that isn't or funny like, is uncomfortable to hear. It's like sex that well, isn't funny is porn. Yeah, sex but that's funny I think people are okay with that. Literature. I mean, sure. <laughs> No, but, but sex that isn't funny is going to read as funny anyway. I mean, it's true. It's, not, it's true. There is no unfunny. Well, I think that, yeah. Right, I guess. But I, I just worry that people are out here like, but I don't write funny things. What am I, what am I supposed to do? Right. Um, also, I think some porn is funny. 
Yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean, Gilbert Gottfried reading Fifty Shades of Grey there is hilarious. But I mean, people want it. But yeah. yeah. People just want, like, like, people's attention spans are so shitty that you need to, like, make them pay attention by doing something. Whether, and I think that's true as a writer and as a reader. I always sort of, this is like this thing I always tell my students, I want to be engaged by the first sentence. If it takes a page, if you're giving a reading and you're like, well, I have to read this page to get to the part that, that's really interesting, then like no one's going to be around to listen to that part. And, and I think it's the same in anything you write, too. It's like people, people are just looking for a place to stop reading, and, and, and at a reading, they're looking for a moment to stop paying attention. It's like you have them for, for 10 seconds at the beginning of your reading, and that's when they decide whether they're going to continue reading or space out. That's and right. I'd say 90% of the time, people decide to space out. And so the beginning is, like, really important. Yeah. And you have to come in, you have to grab their attention, you have to say, like, this is what's going to happen here on this stage, and it's going to be interesting, and it's going to be surprising. And whether that's by being funny, whether that's by sort of shocking them, whether that's simply by having a really engaging opening sentence, whether and, and you know, I think a part of this is just picking the passage you want to speak. I, I would say any time anyone starts to, like, tell me things to remember before, I, like, like, they're like, well, so, okay, just so you know, there's, like, this guy's in a wheelchair, and he's the father of this guy who's having an affair with this, like, I'm done. I'm just like, I'm not listening to this. I, I'm already trying to remember things. I'm already trying to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't, like, no intro, no, like, getting to the good part. Just start with the good part. And if you only have a good part for two minutes, only read for two minutes. Yeah, don't, don't be afraid of an excerpt. Yeah. Sure. And the idea, too, that you're, in, you're engaging. You're interesting, engaging people. Um, I had a writer who once said that, I, I only read because I don't have anything to talk about. I'm not interesting. That's why I'm a writer. And then she went on to tell us about how she uprooted her whole family and a litter of kittens and a parrot and a rescued dog to go to an island to research a, a, a lighthouse that she wanted to write about. And I was like, that's interesting. Talk about that. So like, you are writers because you look at the world in an interesting way and you tell stories in an interesting way. So when you're not reading the work that's interesting, you can talk about what you have written and make it interesting. You're more interesting than you think. Right? Okay, so one more thought on the idea of success and performance. You know, we're talking a lot about performance, about rehearsing your work, about editing yourself, knowing your audience, blah, blah, blah. That's good when you're a performer or when you have that sense, but what happens for the many, many writers who are really shy and introverted and some of you probably may have started out and then got to this point. What are your tips for that? Clonopin. <laughs> I took one an hour ago. I, mean, I would say picture the audience naked, but Jessica already... Worth it. Worth that it. doesn't work for her. Hashtag her. blessed. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's a hard question. Yeah, it's like, a really hard question. I would say don't give readings until you get good at them. Yeah. you get a prescription. Like, I feel like that seems, like, that seems really harsh. I think, I think treat it with the same discipline you would the craft of writing, which means to, even if you are cripplingly shy, just work on it. You know, work on, and it doesn't mean you have to be, again, like a big personality or anything, but just work on it. Work on it in the way that you would, yeah. you would edit a manuscript. Like, treat it as if it's just as important. Even if it improves a little bit and it just makes it so you're not shaking and that you can give your voice to the audience, whether it's not a, you know, performance yeah. voice or and whatever. sometimes that, like, if you're shaking and nervous and you're reading something really intense, that can be really powerful and yeah. intense and moving. It doesn't mean 
it's a bad reading necessarily. Are you, just, are you going against what I just said? Oh, I thought I was agreeing. Pick that up. <laughs> Pick it up. Feisty. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 all. I mean, listen. The only way to get comfortable in front of people is is to do it and get used to it. And and so if that's like a public speaking thing. You know, and, and I imagine that is an issue for, for a lot of writers. I mean, some people are more comfortable with it than not. But to come back to what we're saying, I mean, the, the, the better you know the work and the less you're worried about tripping over your own lines, yeah. I think the easier time you'll have. It also may depend on what kind of writer you are. I mean, like, not to, you know, not to get too craft-oriented here, but I write, you know, for me, I write to the voice in the first place. Yeah. And, and to oh, yeah. me, my sentences are not finished until I can speak them out of my mouth the way I hear them in my head. And so, you know, reading my work aloud, whether in preparation for an event or in preparation for nothing, is really a big part of how I edit, you know? And, and so it's, it, feels, it feels very natural then to get up and read it because the reading part doesn't feel so alien from the writing part. The people in the audience are new, but the actual process of, I'm going to stand here for 15 minutes and say all this shit, well, I've probably done that 100 times before I ever bring it out into the world. So you can give yourself an advantage that way if this is if this is something you're you're worried about. Plus, you should be I mean you should be editing by ear anyway. You just should. Agreed. One other thing I'll say is is um you know I, I should take it back. Like if you're a bad reader, you should still give readings because <laughs> go you. No, because you'll get better at them and and you know. But I also think it's really useful for um. I found like when I started teaching, and I know probably a lot of you are MFA people who want to teach at some point, like I had no training in teaching because they don't teach you how to teach in grad school. They just like tell you to write a book and then someone will hire you. And so you end up in a classroom standing in front of people and you don't have any idea what you're doing. And I think giving readings actually is really good practice for teaching because I, I find they're very similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, I thought you were going to say teaching was good practice for giving or, or vice versa. I mean, I mean, I think either way it's but like... True. If you want one of those things, you know, if you're sort of going to have the life of a writer in the 21st century, that probably tends to involve some kind of public performance, whether it's teaching or whether it's giving readings or whether probably it's both. And I, I don't think they're so far apart. And I think either way, it's good to, good to get comfortable, even, even if that sucks, that, that part of the job is going to have to be to do these things that maybe you don't want to do or, or, or aren't comfortable with. No, I mean, there's also, and, and I really did take a clonopin because I do have to do that, but, but there's also the acceptance of the human condition, which is the thing I go in my head. It's like, okay, if I do just start vomiting from fear, everybody here has vomited, and they will accept me. So there's this sort of ex total acceptance of the human condition that, for some reason, I find I frequently have to do in life, like when I was taking the train up, and I was there was all the business guys in their suits, and I was pee hovering over the toilet and the door swung open and they were all standing there <laughs> and you know and it was like this horrifying moment because my pants were at my knees and I had to decide if I was going to hobble and shut the door or pull my pants up in front of them but the only way to get past something like that what do you do you can't just leave us hanging like I, that. This I, isn't I, like a buy the book. I, like, oh, now you have to go buy the book. Find out, I, did I pull up my pants? Or am I, or no, did I just kick this it? This isn't in a book. This is just part of my life where I feel like these things continually happen to me and I'm constantly faced with my, we are all human and what does everybody does. say about that? I, I can't see my shrink anymore. 
So what I did is I did the hobble. I was doing the, I was, well, I was doing, well, I won't get it, but I was doing the hover, so my pants were bound around my knees, and the big door slid open. It was the handicapped one, so that there's this giant gaping look in, and people were boarding the train, so all, and for some reason it was all the suit guys. So I'm hovering. Oh, and I also, like, it was like, do I wipe, too? I mean, I would just, like, there was so many choices. So I was doing the hover, and they're all there. It's like, do I wipe? Do I... But anyway, I did the, the knock-kneed, pants-down, hobble to the door, and then I shut the door, and then I went back and wiped. And then I changed train cars really fast. So, this was on a train. Yes, this was on a train. This was on a train. Like, I was trapped with these people. But anyway, so readings to me are always that situation again. Like, is the door going to swing open, and am I going to be sitting there with my giant ass in the air and my pants at my knees while I'm peeing, like, wiping. So I always feel like that at readings, and I just constantly tell myself, it's like, okay, everybody has that situation like on the train. you brought that anecdote back around. <laughs> yeah. It's actually relevant. It's very writerly. Yeah, right? and, and plus the human interaction portion of your performance. You have your performance, you have your reading, and then you have to interact with your audience for a short bit, whether that's on stage, that's the, that's the, you know, the door swinging open while you're sitting there with your Right. You know, and, your pants it, your and that's what it feels like to me going to read. I mean, I think you guys don't have a certain level of fear that I do, but that's always what it feels like. So that, that, it, that next level of human interaction where you suddenly have to turn and talk to your audience and then they get to talk to you, that dreaded Q&A that is going to happen to everybody at some point, which we'll throw to you in just a minute. Is that going to happen to us? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to put you right on this. You know, this is all this is all example. You know, we're just, you know, we're just showing you. We're not telling you. Um. <laughs> this is, we're on stage right now. We're oh, doing yeah. the thing we're talking about. If you guys haven't figured that out yet, then I'm sorry. <laughs> we're living um, by example. You have, there's almost always, I guarantee, unless you're in like this kind of environment, usually a 10 to 30 second lag time between asking for questions and the first hand raising up. So your very first event where you say, does anyone have any questions? And there's this long, deadly pause. Just wait it out. Somebody will raise their hand, I promise. That's Um, something you actually can learn from teaching. You know, all of my classes are discussion-based. I made you read a book, and now I'm making you talk to me about it. And to the extent you're willing to talk, we're going to have a good class. And if, they're not, and if you're not willing to talk, that means I have to discuss housekeeping by myself for <laughs> 90 minutes, which I'm fully capable of doing and have done. But over, but over the years, I've gotten much more comfortable with saying, you know, what does anyone think about this? Or ask, posing the question, whatever the question is. If nobody says anything, you just you wait them out, and you, you yeah. abide in silence for... It's like going to a shrink. (laughs) (laughs) And you will get awkward questions. You will get dumb questions. You will eventually at some point get the, what's your process? How do you get an agent? And you'll feel terrible, you know, when you get to that point in your career. And, you know, for some people, they're asking that because they came out to see your work and they don't actually know you yet and they don't know what else to ask. Um, and so they're being, they're trying to be, you know, they're just trying to ask the questions to get you talking. They're um, the really awkward ones. I had a, an event with Donald Ray Pollock, and the guy at the end um, said, I read your book. I have uh, been thinking about it for a year. What was the point of it? I don't get it. I have not been able to stop thinking about it for a whole year, devil all the time. And all I could think of was, that's the point. You just made somebody think about your book for a whole year. Well, did, did Donald tell him that? I, mean, I hope he did, because, I mean, that... That was my immediate reaction. Oh, yeah, no, his, yeah. his reaction was just, well, I just was telling a story. The point of it was the year, right? Yeah. The year of your life. The year of your life mm-hmm. that I took. That was the point. It's a Princess Bride joke in there. Um, so uh, are there any questions? 
Okay, your hand went up really fast. Blue teal dude. We're going to repeat the question, by the way. So. Okay, so the question was, for the purpose of podcast recording here, how did you get your events? At least at the beginning of my career, before I had published books and stuff, they came about from going to readings and meeting people involved in, in giving readings and throwing readings, I guess. And so I think, I mean, you know, you can sort of see how that works on the big floor here, but, but you know, for the most part, and I think it's different once you have a book and you have a publicist and you get booked at stuff. But I think for the most part, at the, at the beginning, you know, when you haven't published stuff, that doesn't mean you can't give readings. And I think you just, you know, you start as an audience member, and then you make friends, and, and then maybe they'll ask, you know, you say, hey, I'd love to read. And that includes, too, you know, if you're, if, if you are a writer, you have writer friends, so you can always go to your writer friends, too, which is what I would do, and go, hey, the things we've gone to kind of sucked. Like, I wonder if we can just go to the library and ask him if on Wednesdays for this hour we're going to do a reading and then you can make flyers at Kinko's and like, you know, so you can also start those experiences yourself. Um, Don't be afraid of that because people love to come to readings and oftentimes people who start readings or start events like that have also not really done it themselves either. They just had an idea for something that would be cool or they had writers that were coming into town, friends, and are like, I'll do this salon in my living room or whatever. Yeah. And if you make friends with your bookstore, you go in and say, hey, yeah. I- I'd like to do something here. And if they know you, they're going to say, sure, yeah, we'd love to. We're so happy for you. Yeah, I mean, it's writing, you know, writing is solitary, but, but literature is community. I mean, it's, it's people. You're asking to go to somebody's space, um, whether that's their bar or their university or, you know, their bookstore or their living room or, you know, or, or they're asking you to come, you know, to come to, to, to host you at something that's theirs. So, you know, I think just to be very conscious of that, to get to know people and also spaces, you know, certain reading series will sort of take anyone and they're open to all comers. Others are very focused in what they do. Um, you know, what kind of work they're looking for. And, um, and you just, yeah, I think, you know, if you want in, you ask uh, as nicely as you can. And otherwise, you just kind of show up and eventually someone will, will actually ask you. And then you will nicely say yes or no. Yeah, and I would like to add, if you do set up something with your bookstore or a bookstore somewhere, follow up with them. Like when they email you or call, get back to them right away. Yes. Like, you know, treat them with the kind of respect that you want to be treated as a professional. Um, they, uh, booksellers, publishing people, they all know each other and they talk. So, you know, be professional, be your best self, be engaging, be a friend, and they will be to you. Send a thank you note. I mean, I bring thank you cards with me on book tour, and I get the address when I'm there, and I send a thank you card. I mean, because these people did something great for you, so you always want to thank them. Yeah. I also think a lot of it comes about from, like, class. You know, your MFA program has readings, or you're taking creative writing classes, and they'll have a reading series. Or, you know, you submit to a journal, and they publish one of your stories, and then the journal has a launch party. You know, it's like stuff like that, that, that you just kind of end up in these communities if you, I mean, I'm sure you're all in some of these, some kind of communities like these, if, if you're here. Yeah. Um, another question? Okay. That one? Right. Blah, black sweater? Yeah. So the question is about how if you are doing a solo event and you're, you know, you've got that 45 minutes to fill, 
do you read first, talk first? How do you, how do you actually structure that? I think it depends on what you write. What are you, I mean, novel? Um, I can't speak to that. <laughs> I think, I think, I guess I would say it depends on the, it depends on the context of the invitation. I mean, a couple times I've been invited to like a university, you know, to, to read from my work and, and again, it's like, you know, the, a, a writing program is putting it on. I'm the only person on the bill and they're, and they're looking to get about 45 minutes out of me. So I might say, you know, hello and, and chat for just a couple minutes, introduce whatever I'm going to read and then, and then really read for a half hour. Cause in the context of the, you know, of, of the academy, like that's, that's what you do. And it may be more or less boring as, as per Adam's comments earlier, but like you took the gig, you know, that's, that's what they're expecting. Um, if I was the sole reader at a bookstore, I would, I definitely would not use that same format. It might be the same book I'm reading from and it might on paper look like the same bill, but it's just, it's a very different, it's a different thing. Um, so you might be chattier. You probably read shorter. You know, if they give you 45, you don't need to take all 45. Um, you know, particularly if, if you're doing, I don't know. And if you're doing a novel, like if you're reading excerpts from different parts, you might read for 10 minutes and then chat a little bit, give people a little bit of a break, and then introduce a second thing. And that 45 minutes includes your audience Q&A time if you're doing a solo event. Yeah. A, a lot of, my books have a lot that's drawn from my real life. I can't find, oh, there she is. And, so I, and people like to know what's true. And so I just tell them because they're interested in that. So I usually tell them a lot of the stuff that's true. And my readings, I usually I try and time it out at 11 minutes. That seems to be my, my number. The question was... I lie all the time about almost everything. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's why I became a fiction writer, because I I just make stuff up. Well, the books are all lies. Yeah. You know, everything's made up in the book. You don't have to tell anyone anything about yourself. You you know, some people ask me personal questions, and I'm just like, that's none of your business. Um, Tell them you, you enjoy lying to them. See how that goes over. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you the truth right now, and then tell it to them, and then say I just lied to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or I think. Yeah. Go ahead. No. That's... <laughs> Do we have another question? Yeah, another question. Um, right here in the front with the vest. So the question real quick. I've read all these people on this panel, and none of their stuff is boring, and all of it reads in a way that you would want to hear it out loud. But I think that's just this panel. I mean, I've read all these people, and it's like you would like you can hear the voice so strongly that you almost hear it as a spoken piece. That's also why you don't have to read. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't. don't, I'm not. I'm not totally sure what you mean by like. I mean, I I definitely will do things like if I write a 20-page story and I I want to give a reading and the reading is supposed to be six, five to seven minutes long, I might cut that story down to four pages and see if I can contain the narrative arc of it with and figure out as much to get rid of. So, you know, and I think not everyone does that. Um, I don't always do it either. but, But I think, you know... 
you can, you can do that by, I, I, I edit all the time for readings by cutting and by figuring out what's going to work in the reading and what's not and by figuring out like, oh, this part of the story won't work in five minutes because it only is interesting when you find out this other thing that happens later on and this won't make sense because we're coming in halfway through the story and so like the whole context for it is confused. So, so I definitely edit, you know, I have versions and even in my novel like I have... I have a marked up reading copy where I have things yeah, cut out, I have, I have things that too. changed, I have, you know, and I have, I have two reading books, actually, I have two like tour books of my story collection that has two different, so each one is a different version of each of my stories depending on how long I'm supposed to be reading I have for. set lists in yeah. the front page that with the page numbers and depending, there's like four different ones that are just marked down in, in columns with the page numbers, and they specifically are for four different types of audiences. So if I have to do something really quickly, I can, I can engage quickly and say, like, which one of these am I going to read? And if you do a that, I honestly have never had someone buy a book after an event come to me a week or two or a month later and say, you know, there was this story that he read, and it was not at all the same as the one in the book, and I'm really upset about it. And just, I think Justin does a good thing, too, where she's like, I'm going to read half this story, and then I'm going to stop. Yeah. And You're then teasing if you, them. And then, and then they're like, oh, I have to find out what happens. Yeah. So, you know, there are different yeah. ways you can, you can do it. But I think, you know, I think I think editing for the for I I think oftentimes the editing you do thinking you're doing it for performance ends up being good editing anyway. And I think it can be a really good exercise in compression and figuring out how to cut. Um cuz you you actually end up realizing that to tell the story you're trying to tell you don't need everything in it. Um And that's actually a good sort of where we're into our last minute or two here. Um and I want to make sure you're out on time. But that actually ties into, I was, I was going to just tell you guys, you know, think about your time here at AWP and the panels you go to. You've been to good panels, you've been to bad panels. And some of the really good panels are ones like with these guys where, you know, you're going to have engaging conversation. There's going to be a little bit of craft talky sort of stuff. They're going to be critical. They're going to be honest. They're going to be funny. And that's, that's what you want to do for your own author appearance. Um, yeah, with more or less decks, depending on your um, preference. Um, but I just want to close with one thing. Uh, there's a debut novelist named Josh Cook um, who wrote a really great blog post for Melville House um, about his experience as a first-time author going out and doing this sort of thing. And um, I loved what he said at the in, near the end. He says that uh, I didn't... Uh, the people attending took time out of their day when they could have been doing pretty much anything else to hear me. They put in some effort. They gave me their time. So I made sure to give them the best performance I could. And I think that's what these guys do. That's what they showed you today. And that's really all you need to do. <laughs> all right, thank, thank you. you guys very thank much. Thank you guys. Dicks, 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 dicks. Thank you for tuning in to the AWP podcast series. 
For other podcasts, please visit our website at www.awpwriter.org.